I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Romans as we kind of do the second part of what we began last week with just reminding ourselves of who we are as a church, why, who we are and why we do what we do. You'll notice on the overhead that it says Romans 1, 8 to 17, and that's definitely going to be the text that, from which the message comes, but I'm actually going to read from, verses, from verse 1 all the way through 17 to give us a little bit more of a context of our passage there this morning. So if you are able and willing, as is our custom, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that... I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me please? Oh God, what a privilege. Even as Paul was eager here to preach the gospel. Oh Lord, this is your word. And would you take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts? Mold us, make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. May our hearts this morning be soft and receptive. And may your word find fertile soil. Oh Lord, teach us, we ask. For the sake of Christ and in His name, Amen. Please be seated. Probably won't surprise you when I say what I'm about to say. I was watching a movie the other night with a few of my kids. I often use movies as an illustration. 
But once again, I was watching a movie with several of my children, and in the movie, one of the characters was asked this question. Or I'd say one character asked another character this question. said, what are, what's your purpose here? And of course, as a good Presbyterian, I hear that question. You know how I responded? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? Who, who wouldn't of us talk to our TVs and to the characters on the screen and tell them that to glorify God and enjoy them forever? And yet, something in the way that the question was asked struck me. Struck me. He said, what's your purpose here? And I began to think to myself, what's the here mean? What's he asking this other character? Because is his purpose different from one place to another? Did this guy have more than one purpose? Does that change? And so we ask ourselves, to what situation or what context is our first catechism question addressing? It says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Where? Where do we do that? Very good. When do we do that? All the time. Everywhere. And all the time. I mean, do we do that on Sunday mornings? Well, to be sure, right? Certainly Sunday mornings. Saturday night? Yes. Monday morning? Yes, when I'm working, when I'm playing, when I'm communicating with my spouse, when I'm ministering to my children. All the time? Yes, that's the right answer. All the time. We as Christians are called to live for the glory of God. And yet, from where does that strength come? How do we do that? Because if we're honest, sometimes we don't have that strength. Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes, sometimes if we are really honest, we might not even desire that. So from where does that strength come? To live in light of the gospel. And I think this passage, among a host of other things, helps to answer that question for us this morning. So as we think about and are reminded of who we are and why we do what we do, it's it's good to answer that question. How do we do what we're called to do? Well, two things I want us to look at. Simple. Paul is longing to see the saints at Rome. Longing to go there. That's the first division. Second is going to be, he's also eager to preach the gospel to the saints in Rome. So let's look at those two things. And, and we begin, if you'll notice there in verse 8 again. I know I read 1 to 7. But as we begin there in verse 8, we see where Paul says first. But we notice something, don't we? There's not a second or a third. But Paul doesn't leave that out because he forgets them. But he's actually communicating something to his audience. He's saying, look, first, here in the beginning, before I do anything else, this needs to be said. And what is it that he says? He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So in other words, before I get to any other part of this letter, let me be clear who it is that's to be acknowledged for what's taking place here in Rome. The presence of faith in their midst is not due to the fact of their own wisdom, 
of how smart they were, their own advancement, but it is evidence of God's grace and God's work in their midst. The fact that the knowledge of their faith is proclaimed in all the world, in all the known world, is a testament not to them, but it's a testament to the work of God in their midst. This is the advancement of the gospel. It's the advancement of the kingdom from Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And so Paul then is rightly giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is the giver of faith. God is the giver of faith. And whatever's happening here in the church here at Rome, and, and this, is, this is really wise on Paul's part for several reasons. One, so that he, he teaches, even in his letter, that, where, that the glory and the credit should be given where it's due. And that's to the work of the Lord. But there's another reason as well, because Paul hadn't planted the church here in Rome. This is, we could say it this way, this is kind of his introduction to them. And so some, even though somebody else had planted, he acknowledges that the work that's happening there is actually the work of God. So whoever it might be who is bringing the gospel to them, the man doesn't matter. It's the message that matters. He's writing to brothers and sisters. He could have, he, and, and he does, he, he acknowledges their faith. He commends them in a way for their faith. And yet, and yet the thanks is still given to the Lord. Chris, why are we emphasizing that this morning? Because as we are reminded of what God has done in our midst as a church, what's going on here at Trinity Grace Church is a testament, not to what we do, but it's a testament to His work in our midst. And let's not forget that all thanks and all praise belongs to Him. God is at work in our midst. He's, in, he's, he's at work in your midst. And for that, we ought to be thankful and give Him the praise that He deserves for doing so. And, and notice too, I love this part, how Paul does this. He thanks my God. That, that intimate, my God. I know him, he knows me. John Murray says it this way. It's, a, it's, as, if, it's as if Paul is saying, I am his and he's mine. There's this intimate relationship with Paul and his God. And that matters here because what Paul is saying, he's saying this same God, this same God that is at work in me is at work in you. This is the basis of Paul's love for the church. It's, his, it's part of the reason why he has such a passion for them. And we actually see the passion in his prayer. As he prays, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul, Paul acknowledges that he's a servant of God in the gospel of his Son. This is what this is all about. That's why Paul is writing. It's why Paul is longing to come and to see them, to preach the gospel. God knows that he longs to do this. God knows his heart. He knows his desire. He knows his passion is to come and to be in their midst. So we're, we are to get this picture here of Paul's love for the saints. And, and think about it. Paul doesn't know their personalities. 
Paul doesn't know their quirks. He doesn't know their stations in life. He doesn't know their families. He doesn't know all about them, but he does know this. He knows that they share the same faith in the same true God, and because of that, he longs to be in their midst. This is about fellowship with the saints of God. Love for the saints. And he prays for them. And he prays that he might somehow at last succeed in coming to them. But Paul also understands that even though that's his desire, that that's up to the Lord. That's up to the Lord. The only way he's going to Rome is if God wills it for him to go to Rome. And so he prays. He prays. He asks the Lord, God, this is my desire. But, but notice how he does it. He basically says to him, he says, but, but may my desire match your will. Would you bring my desire in line with your will? We can learn something from that, can't we? Even in our prayer life. There's nothing wrong with us. And in fact, we should bring our requests and make our requests before the Lord. Lord, I would, I would love for you to do this. Would, would, would you please do this, Lord? May this be the case. God invites us to do that. And, and for many of us, whether it's on a personal level or, or on an even corporate level as a church, there, there are a lot of things that we would like to see take place or lots of things we'd like to see happen. And, and often those are good and godly things. But what we can learn here is let's lay our desires before the Lord and say, Lord, would you line up my desires with your perfect will? Oh, that that would be our prayer life. That's what Paul's saying here. I long to go there, but Lord, by your will, may I at last go there. His desire is to be with them. He longs to see them. Why? Well, he says, so that he may import, impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Another way we could say that is so that you might be established. And the reason why I mention that is because he wants them to be established as a church. He wants them to, to stand on a firm foundation. He wants them to function properly. Over in 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches specifically concerning <clears throat> these spiritual gifts. And there he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's varieties of service, but there's, there's one Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given, he says, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he goes on to say, of course, for there are many members, but one body. These, these gifts that are given are for the strengthening and the establishing of the church of Christ. And as a church and as individuals, we can learn something about that as well. Or I, maybe I should say it this way. As individuals within the church, we can learn something about this. This is, this is mutual edification. Our gifts are given to us not for our own glory, but for the glory of Christ and not for our own good, but for the good of others. That's how we use them. That's why we use them. Again, mutual edification. Paul says that we may be mutually encouraged. We use our gifts for each other. For that purpose. And our gifts are different. I mean, we, just, we just read that. And some of us may say, well, my, my gifts aren't that, aren't that important. 
Paul addresses that too. We shouldn't look at our gifts and say, well, mine aren't important, but his is or hers is. They need to use theirs, but it doesn't really matter for me. No, we all are using our gifts, whatever they may be, for the glory of Christ and for the good of the people. It's that mutual love, mutual encouragement. It's part of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to actually use our gifts within the body of Christ. And Paul has every right to, and authority to write to them and to impart to them. Um, he's an apostle. And yet still, he's sensitive to the fact, though he's an apostle, he's still building on somebody else's foundation at this church. And he acknowledges that even as an apostle, there's this mutual edification. There's this mutual encouragement. Sure, I have a particular role in this church. I'm the one that you usually see up here. But even as I minister to you, you minister to me. Even as I'm the one that's usually up here, the other pastors minister to me. There's a mutual encouragement that takes place. And Paul says, I, I want you to know that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Well, Paul, Paul desires a harvest among them, even as he does the rest of the Gentiles. And he wants them to understand that his not coming to them is of no fault of his own. He's not blaming anything. He's not blaming anyone for this. But, but he's, he's, get, he's trying to get the point across. That I really want to be in your midst. And the reason why I'm there is not because I don't want to be there. It's because I've been providentially hindered in one way or the other. Be, because, of, because of ministry or because of life or because of whatever it is. I want to, I want to come and be with you, but I haven't been able to yet. All that's to say. Paul is saying, I long to come to Rome to be with you, to teach you. And again, why well, emphasize that? Because that should be the pastor's heart for his people, shouldn't it? For those who he teaches. Pastors should long to be with God's people. And of course, we can, we can apply that to the pastor, but we can also apply that to our own hearts, can't we? Do we long to be with God's people? When I'm not with you, and I think the other pastors here would say the same thing, that when we're not with you, we miss you. Well, not all of you, but... No, we do. When, we, when we're not with you, we miss you. We long to be with you. I sometimes go to other places to preach, and every time I'm there, I'm like, I would much rather be at Trinity Grace. I long to be in your Midst, I long to preach the word to you. That's Paul's heart here. God's put this people on his heart. He longed to go to Rome because he was eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. Paul says in verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And we might read that and say, why is he under obligation here? Why is, he a, why is he a debtor to anybody? He's never been to these folks in Rome. Why is he indebted to them? He's indebted to them because a call's been put on his life. He's indebted to them because he's been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been given the good news. And particularly for Paul in his office, in his role as an apostle, he, he is, he's obligated 
He's had that call placed upon him. He's oblated to Greeks, to barbarians, to the wise, the foolish. He's, he's, again, he's been given that precious news of the gospel to share to a lost and dying world. But I think we can say too, can't we, that there's a very real sense that all of us as believers, with the Great Commission, taking that in its broad application, that we're under obligation, that we, have, that we have great news to tell. The good news of Jesus Christ who came and lived that perfect life. Who died the death that you deserve. That rose again from the dead conquering sin and death. And is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That one who has forgiven you of all of your sin and all your unrighteousness. So that you have a standing before our heavenly Father. We've got that news to tell others. Who, as Brandon said with the children earlier, all across the globe, who are dying apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And to the church, to the church, the Lord's given that message. What a privilege. What a privilege. And, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, and... I think it's worth saying again, that, that doesn't mean that everybody's called to be a preacher. We have our own ministries. They're all important. Your own call is important. So as God affords us opportunities in the places where we live, where we work, in our neighborhoods, wherever that might be, whatever that might be, when we have opportunity to share the love and gospel of Christ, do we do that? Is it, is it something that we feel the, the, the wonder of? I mentioned last week our excitement over the gift of new physical life and how we celebrate that. We want to share that great news. Indeed, we do. Even uh, Jeremy prayed about it just even this morning. The wonder of new life in our midst. And we should because God is the giver of life. He's not just the giver of physical life. And we know that. But do we think about that? He's also the giver of spiritual life. And eternity is at stake when we think about spiritual life. The souls of Men and women and children. God grants new life spiritually, eternally. What a privilege to share that news. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, for if I preach, <clears throat> that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity it is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For Paul... He, can do, he can't do anything else. He must preach the gospel. It's all he can do. It's all he can do. And I know sometimes we, we have young men in our congregation even that are thinking about ministry. And oftentimes I have those who are training for ministry um, through our LAMP program or whatever. And they're like, I, I, I wonder where they're... they're trying to determine that call. Am I called to be in ministry? Am I called to preach the gospel? Am I called to do that? Well, I often answer the same way for those young men. Is it a necessity for you? When you're sitting out there listening to somebody preach, do you go, I have got to do that. I want to do what he's doing. I don't mean to embarrass my Dear, dear friend and brother, Ted Winger, 
but he's sitting over here. I didn't even know he was going to be here this morning, but what a great opportunity. I'm going to pick on you for just a moment. One of my favorite preachers, when I listen to him preach, I want to do what he does. I, I want to share the gospel in the way that he does it. I want to connect with the people the way that he does it. I've got to do that. And if that's not the response of a young man, if a young man were to say, no, I don't really have that urge, you're not called to be a preacher. Preachers can't do anything else. That doesn't mean that I can't mow a yard. It doesn't mean that I couldn't run a business. It doesn't mean I couldn't go to school and get a medical degree. I could do those things. But I can't do those things. It has been laid upon me by necessity. By necessity. And sometimes, I'll even admit this, sometimes I think if I could do anything else, I would. I would. But I can't. And what a joy. What a joy to preach the gospel of Christ. Now that's not about me. It sounded like it may have been, but it's not. This is what Paul's saying here in this text. And, and the application to all of us. All of us as believers. Well, it may not be you preaching do you share in that delight of the good news of Christ? As one older preacher used to always say, has your duty become your delight because of what Christ has done in your, your heart? And, and notice Paul says both Greeks and barbarians to the wise and to the foolish. And we read that and we say, well, is Paul calling them barbarians like we would use the term barbarian. Why does he make that distinction? Well, in Paul's culture, there were Greek speakers and there were those who weren't Greek speakers. And the ones who weren't Greek speakers were called barbarians. Uh, and it's a wordplay, actually. The name itself sounds like how they would sound to a Greek speaker. Almost like we um, know of the Tower of Babel. It's called Babel because that's what it sounded like when God confused their languages. So what Paul is saying is that there are those who are educated, there are those who are uneducated. There are those who are wise, there are foolish, and then by the Scripture's other teaching, we can even enlarge that. There are some who are rich and those who, some who are poor. But what Paul's saying, is saying, I'm under obligation to all people no matter where they fall on that spectrum. And what do we learn from that? The gospel is for all men. The gospel is for everyone. What a truth we need to hear and be reminded of. I'm always so surprised when I hear of churches to say, you know, we're, we're planting a church to really reach this type of person. Are you planting the church to reach that type of person because you like that type of person best? Or because you think that type of person is somehow underrepresented? And so does that per type of person then need something different than the gospel? This is a great normalizing factor in all of the world. Whether one is rich or poor, slave or free. No matter what color they are, no matter where they're from, Greek or barbarian, all stand in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them. There's not a person that escapes the necessity of Jesus. There's that leveling aspect of all of humanity, and that is that we are all born in sin. 
And of course, this is where this is where Paul moves in Romans, isn't it? If we were to continue reading, this is exactly where he goes with his argument. We're all born in sin. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, all of that is right there in Romans as we read through in the next couple of chapters. All in need of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul says, I am under obligation to all men. And the church at Romans included in that. And particularly the church at Rome, here. And so he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Not just generally, but to these specifically to you. And why is he eager? He's eager because he understands the gospel. He knows the God who saves. He understands that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. As we read in verse 16. Paul understands the necessity of the gospel. He understands that's the only place where our hope is found. The only place where sin can be forgiven. Where sin is forgiven. In Christ Jesus. It's only in Christ. That's why he's eager. That's why. And, and, and that's his calling, isn't it? That's his driving force in ministry. It's his passion to preach the gospel. And who's it to? This is one of the reasons why I wanted us to read the first seven verses before we started up in verse 8. Go back with me to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. It's to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, and Paul is going to preach the gospel to them. And we may say, so what? I think we often have this idea that the gospel is reserved for those, for just those, who do not yet know Christ. That somehow we go beyond it. Uh, there's a commentary, and the commentary is great, so I'm going to use it as an illustration, but don't get me wrong, it's a great commentary on Romans. It's by a gentleman named Leon Morris. But even in his commentary, he says this. He says, in Rome as elsewhere... It is to non-believers that he would bring the gospel. I found that very interesting. Because it's not what Paul says. It's not what Paul says. But that's a common way of looking at the gospel, isn't it? That it's just for the believers. Not, uh, or it's just, that it's just for the non-believers. But then Morris turns around and he writes this. The gospel is central to, and listen how he says this, living out the Christian life as Paul sees it. To understand the gospel and accept it means a change in one's whole life. It's central to Paul's preaching, certainly. And there he is absolutely correct. The gospel is central, not only for salvation, but also for the Christian life. It's not just for unbelievers. It's for life. It's for us to understand life. It's the power to live the Christian life. To you also who are in Rome, that you as the church in Rome, to those loved by God and called to be saints, they need the gospel. And you, Trinity Grace Church, you saints, those of you loved by God and called by Him, you need the gospel. You need the gospel. And does that mean that we never hear the law? No, certainly not. We hear the law when we come to it in the Scriptures. 
We need it. It's beautiful. It's perfect. We teach it. We preach it. But we preach it as law. Because why? Because the law has no power to grant that which it commands. The law has no power to change life. It has no power to give life. It has no power to bring repentance. It has no power to bring renewal. It has no power to bring reformation. But the gospel does to all those who are loved by God and called to be saints. I am so eager to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because it's what you need for the Christian life. It's what I need for the Christian life. It's not as if we need the gospel just to come into the faith or receive the faith and then once we have it, we then kind of move on to the more important things or move on to the law and that's how we now live and we leave the gospel behind. It's not it at all. Many want to do that. We see that everywhere. Sometimes we're in danger of that in our own lives. The, the Galatians tried it. We, we, we tend to, to live in such a way or even think in such a way that the gospel's there, I know, but it can't be enough. It can't be enough. I've got to add some stuff to it. The gospel's there, but what we really need now is the law. We need to get to the serious business of living the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, I want us to live godly and righteous lives. So we do, do we need the law as a guide for holy living? Absolutely to show us our sin and to drive us to Christ. Absolutely. We need the law. I want us to obey the law. But that law has no power to grant to you what it commands of you. But the gospel of Jesus does. So if somebody were to say, you preach the gospel all the time, you never get into the law. That's actually because I want us to obey the law. I want us to know what it is. But I want us to obey it. And the way to obey it is not by only giving us the law because it has no power. But it's to give you Christ. To give you the gospel. That's how those things work together. We live in light of the gospel. We don't live the gospel. Christ is the gospel. His person and work is the gospel. The gospel is that good news of the Lord Jesus. We've already said it once here. Our, our um, youth group over the next, is it all semester, Jake, or just for the first little bit of it? We're going to be talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? And, and we often, we often uh, confuse that. The gospel is not what we do. The gospel is what God has done in and through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. In history. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that plainly, isn't it? Doesn't it? It's good news. We don't live the good news. We proclaim the good news. Yes, we're to live in a manner worthy of our calling. Those things that we are to do and things that we aren't to do. But again, it's not those things that put us in right standing before God. It's the gospel of Christ. It's not those things that give us the power to do those things. It's the power of the gospel that strengthens us and enables us to do the do's and to not do the don'ts. To live in a manner worthy of our calling. And we, we can even turn to Titus 2 
and read where Paul, and I've shared this with you on numerous occasions, Paul, in the context of living out the Christian life, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And we read that first part and we go, of course, the grace of God appears, it brings salvation. But what does it mean to, how do we, how do we then renounce ungodliness? How do we live upright and godly lives? Don't we need something different? Well, notice what Paul says. I'm going to read it again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's the grace of God that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's why Paul says in our text, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Salvation and life. So Paul comes to the Romans and he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes and because the righteous shall live by faith. That's why. Paul's desire, Paul's passion was that the people in Rome and further, would hear the precious news of the gospel. He longed for them. Longed to preach the gospel to them. For the glory of God and for the good of the people. And I wonder, can we, in, in two ways, I think we ought to apply this and ask the question in both ways. One, corporately, and then as well as individually in our own lives. Can we say that's how we live? to the glory of God and for the good of the people. If I were to ask you, just, just grab you some day and after a difficult decision you made and I said, hey, brother, sister, why did you make that decision? Would you answer it saying, I made that decision first and foremost for the glory of God. And then it was, and then because it was what was best for my family, or it was what was best for the church, or it was what was best for the people around me. So I made the decision for the glory of God and for the good of others. I wonder, I wonder if that's what drives us. May that be the case. Would God give us hearts that that's the case in our midst? So if I were to ask you the question, the same one that that one character asked the other, what's your purpose here? How would you answer that? Let's pray, shall we? God, thank you for today. And Lord, thank you for challenging um, passages but also within the midst of those challenges, we're reminded of the wonder of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Thank you for that. Lord, we do pray, and particularly since it's proper, the beginning of the year, as we again consider as a church who we are, why we do what we do, and those types of things. Lord, may we consider that corporately as well as individually. May we be refreshed by the gospel and would that work its way in us such that our passion, our desire would be for the glory of God and for the good of the people. Create that in us as a church, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.